Hello, welcome to episode 17 of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast, a podcast about the history and construction of the city's motorways and expressways. I'm Stuart Baird. Following complaints from my co-host about last month's title music, I felt it was appropriate to give consideration to something a bit more professional. Hello John Hassel, how are you? Well, I was okay. I thought, finally, we've got some great music on here. <laughs> we've got this. I had you fooled. You thought I had capitulated and given in. <laughs> he kept this music quiet for me. I didn't know what it was going to be. And then when I heard it initially, I thought, we finally had a breakthrough. Yeah. So we have a little bit of Russ Conway playing in the background this month. <laughs> so it was good to have the old honky-tonk piano on the go. It's actually all right. It's all right, isn't it? It's actually it? all right. Yes. Yeah. Well, anyway, sure, I'm okay. I can't wait till Texas. Texas is coming. I'm very jealous. Yeah, I'm it's just me jealous. going. I'm not taking Stuart, but uh, I'm, I'm learning all about the land of motorways, and I'll bring that Absolutely back for the next one. Yeah. So that's it. So this week we are taking a break from the unbuilt roads this month to bring you a Clyde Crossings special. Oh, Clyde, Clyde Crossings? You mean like uh, Gary and Bridge and uh, Motherwell, <laughs> Motherwell Bridge? No, you're winding me up now. You've done it twice. It's not. It's the Clyde Crossing special, but in Glasgow itself. You're referring to kind of Lanarkshire things. Yeah, important things. Yeah, okay, okay, they're important, but that's another episode. Ah, so this okay. one here, we're, we're looking at Kingston, Clyde Tunnel, and the Erskine Bridge ah. in the ultimate face-off. All right, okay. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, which is the best and why? We'll find out later. Uh, as usual, we have our From the Archive feature that takes a look at the special commemorative booklet released to celebrate the opening of the Clyde Tunnel in 1963. And it's not just any old booklet, as it's bound in blue leather. Oh, good one, interesting. Yeah. And I think this might be a, a long podcast, but shall we get on with it there? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, John. So, this month then, our Clyde Crossings special. Yeah. So I mentioned we'd be looking at the major crossings that we've got. So that's Kingston, mm-hmm. the Clyde Tunnel, yep. and Erskine Bridge. Yes. Very, very different sorts of crossings, and we'll be comparing them. Yep. I know we said we're going to have an ultimate face-off. Mm-hmm. Where do we start such a, a, a comparison exercise with these? Kingston. You want to start with Kingston? Has to be Kingston. Has to be Kingston. Okay, off the bat, it's certainly going to be the busiest of our crossings. This is the one that carries the M8 mm-hmm. over the Clyde yep. in the centre of Glasgow. 160,000 vehicles a day. Five lanes in each direction. One of the busiest urban river crossings in Europe. As we always hear. Although some of our friends in England like to dispute that comment when I make it, but I will make it again <laughs> and had, have made it again. I know, Dartford will always come up, won't it? It's not urban. Yeah, I suppose it isn't. Mm-hmm. So the Kingston is kind of unique in the fact that, you know, it's right in the city. It's a motorway. It's going over. It is. So when did Kingston open then? How long have we had this? June 26, 1970. It was opened by the, the Queen Mother. The Queen Mother. Mm-hmm. The good thing to note on these Clyde crossings, every one of them was opened by a senior member of the royal family. Oh. That's how important they were yeah, at the time. Right. Yeah, the Clyde, yeah, Clyde Tunnel as well. Absolutely, yep. you're right. Just looking at these things. So King- Kingston Bridge to me, it forms part of the motorway network that goes over. And um, it's not, when you say Kingston Bridge, something I've noticed that people outside from Glasgow don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. Uh-huh. No, I've noticed that they know what the Clyde Tunnel is, they know what the Erskine Bridge is. So is the Kingston Bridge that famous to people outside of Glasgow? Because I'll tell you this, Stuart, because I don't come from Glasgow. Yeah. I didn't know what it was <laughs> until I was here in Glasgow, but I knew what the Erskine Bridge was. I knew what the Clyde <clears throat> Tunnel was. So point, points for fame. 
Oh dear, oh dear. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if Kingston is just sort of consumed by the M8. That's label. what I think. Do you know what it is? It's a blue line on a map yeah. to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's just crossing the river. Whereas Kingston to Glasgow is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Glasgow knows the Kingston Bridge. Mm-hmm. Most people in Glasgow will have used the Kingston Bridge at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I am personally of the view that it is a, a stunning piece of civil engineering um, and of architecture. We, we talk about how it's got quite a unique design. Yeah. So this bridge was designed by uh, Fairhurst. Fairhurst himself. Fair, the, W.A. Fairhurst the himself. The Fairhurst himself yes. uh, designed this bridge. Uh, what makes it quite unique from an engineering point of view, Stuart, compared to your other bog-standard river crossings that carry a motorway? So it's reinforced concrete box girder, mm-hmm. and it's post-tensioned. And uh, basically what that means is that it's not solid in its construction. It's six parallel concrete boxes Mm -hmm. all held together with strands and tendons and and reinforcement and whatever else. But you don't really see these boxes, do you? Because it's just this arch. Because it's all closed in. So what we end up with is this beautiful arch Mm -hmm. to to look almost like a traditional bridge. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's all... um, and it's, it's nicely faced with uh, precast panels with nice mm-hmm. aggregate in them, you know, to make it look aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. You know, so from the distance, it actually looks like a solid single structure. I know. But, you know yeah, it's in, made up of these component parts. Yeah, and in reality, that's not the case. But <laughs> you, you, only if you've ever been in it or been close enough to it to actually look at it, you realise that you would probably get an idea that there's two separate structures because there's a gap in the central reserve. Yeah. But actually, there's six separate boxes all sitting mm-hmm. side by side. I've been in it. You have indeed. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Not many people get to go in there. No, it so. is, it is a, a very interesting structure to it visit. Is. Do you know another thing about this, and this came up from um, when we were doing the talk, Stuart, some photos came up showing that ships were going under the Kingston Bridge at one point. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things. I've Why is it built so high? You know, and then actually they wanted to allow shipping to go under it. Well, that's right. Uh, Glasgow Corporation had the proposal um, basically to have two bridges. One is a high-level bridge for the motorway, mm-hmm. and one at key level, which would have been you know, aimed at local traffic. Um, but the Clyde Port Authority really dug their heels in and insisted that shipping be able to continue upstream of where the Kingston Bridge was going to be. And uh, eventually the corporation gave in and said, right, fine, fair enough, okay, we'll go with you, uh, we'll go with your proposals or whatever. And sadly, within 10 years of the bridge opening, there was no shipping really going upstream yeah. at Kingston anyway. It's not going to Port Glasgow or downstream. But yeah. they were insistent that custom key and places like that were still going to be important, mm-hmm. you know, for commerce. Within 10 years, it was all gone. I think mm. it was the Clyde Port Authority yeah. trying to exercise some control and power because it had it. Yeah. That's ultimately what it was. And and actually, the need for key level crossings in that location eventually led to the construction of the Clyde Arc mm. or the twin bridges proposal that Strathclyde Region had in the books for a number of years as well. Yeah. Because local movements over the bridge have caused problems for strategic traffic over the years. I know we're going to, we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, So separating the types of traffic from yeah. the bridge actually would, would probably improve its you know its reliability. Exactly. You know, Take some of the local journeys away from it. Yeah. This is another thing talking about the height. Is it's this funny thing where you get the Charing Cross kind of canyon area, which is quite low down. Yeah. And then you're you're in that dip, and then you're going up onto the. Yeah, you've got quite a climb, and, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. A lot of people forget that the Kingston Bridge itself is only the bit over the river. Mm-hmm. There is this substantial north and south approach viaducts that mm-hmm. exist as well. Yeah. But there's over a hundred columns and piers. You know, for those approaches, uh, 
uh, which if you're underneath at Broomhill or looking north, you, know, you just see masses of these piers, you know, yeah. all designed again in that Fairhurst style, yeah. you know, the, the elliptical style uh, to resist against wind loathing, uh, lo- loathing sorry, uh, mm-hmm. and also, you know, to to give a sort of appearance of being rather slender and, and nice. Yeah, it is in. interesting down there. I know that you, you know, some provision for parking your car and everything yeah. down there when you go up. Yeah, yeah. I know. using the space, utilising the space underneath. But no, you're right. And I remember John Cullen mentioned actually that they, they did have to change some of their, their ideas and things about Kingston from the original traffic design. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had proposed, Scott Wilson had proposed that the Kingston Bridge would probably need to be an eight-level, uh, eight lane crossing mm-hmm. uh, so four lanes on each side but it was only when Fairhurst actually started to detailed design on it that they said actually we think it should probably be ten lanes yeah five um, you know, it should side. be five on either side and that's what was uh, progressed mm-hmm. um, to what we have now yeah. um, you know and, and, and uh, it's a busy bridge it it's hasn't always bridge. had an easy life though uh, Stuart I no. mean you, you, people can remember obviously the strengthening works I mean the place was just one big construction site for many years throughout yeah. the 1990s so I mean what, within 15 years of the bridge opening or just over that mm-hmm. it was found to be in need of some serious yeah. um, work um, it was leaning to one side to yeah. put it in a, a simple simple, simple kind yeah. of terms it was yeah. leaning to the north mm-hmm. the north approaches were supporting the bridge the north key wall was sinking the bridge itself was sinking and was I believe at risk of collapse yeah. At one point, it's all well publicised. We're not seeing anything here that hasn't been discussed elsewhere at some point. Uh, and a considerable um, amount of work was done over the, the following 15 years or so into the early 2000s to strengthen the bridge and replace some of the approaches and the viaducts and things as well. The stop cross on ramp was, was strengthened. The stop cross off ramp off ramp had to be replaced completely. You know, because of the problems it had. Some of them had weight restrictions on them for a few years prior yeah. to that. Um, the bridge. Um, parapet system, the aluminium parapet system really didn't work from day one and there was a number of incidents where vehicles went through it so that was all replaced and there are a couple of schemes that still actually uh, remain to be completed on the north side of the bridge to replace the aluminium system um, and that's uh, that's coming up in the next uh, few years but I mean some people might remember in the early 2000s um, there was uh, a few weekends where the bridge was actually closed to traffic completely Yeah, it was jacked up and moved onto new support and it had a very sophisticated uh, jacking system and monitoring system in place to ensure that it was all, mm-hmm. all It okay. was dynamic, wasn't it? Because it could yeah. adjust the bridge depending on what the loading exactly. was. Exactly, yeah. It, yeah, it really was, it was ahead that. of its time and it won several awards and, and we know some of the guys who were involved in that. And, and, and yeah, it's very impressive work. Kingston Bridge known more for its, its success on repairing it sometimes yeah. than what it was on yeah, building it. I know, sadly, yeah. No, that's fine. It's interesting to talk about the engineering side of things because most people might not know those things. But one thing that a lot of people would be familiar with is the traffic flows. Oh, the yes. Bridge. So mm-hmm. in what they projected that that bridge was to take in, what, 1990. Yeah. Uh, we were discussing this earlier. Would you say 120,000 vehicles? Yeah, predicted to have 120,000 vehicles a day using it by 1990. Uh, that was pretty much spot on. Uh, 70,000 were using it by the time the M8 was completed across the city. So that was around about 1980. Mm-hmm. I think we were 77,000 a day at that stage. Mm-hmm. It's quite, Probably uh, quite still quite growth. free-flowing. Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah, so quite a considerable growth. Uh, and that um, it reached a peak before the M74 completion opened of about 180 to 185,000 vehicles a day. Huge flows, certainly at the upper limit of what a, a five-lane motorway would be able to accommodate. Yeah. Um, that reduced to somewhere between 155 and 165,000 vehicles a day, uh, depending on whether there's events and, and things like that on 
in the in the city centre. So it has stabilised a bit, and that was kind of one of the main purposes of the of the M74. Yeah. Let's be honest. Funnily enough, we're, we're talking about traffic and we're talking about uh, about works as well. The the temporary barrier, which became a permanent fixture, uh, was put in to keep heavy vehicles away from from the edge of the bridge. Um, but they found that when it was put in, that actually improved traffic flows in the eastbound side or the northbound yeah. side, depending on how you look at it. In that it reduced weaving of traffic trying to join from West Street with traffic trying to leave to go onto the Clydeside Expressway. And that had quite a positive impact on traffic. Mm -hmm. So that's why that barrier remained a permanent fixture. Yeah, Redu they, reducing the weaving. Yeah, yeah, if they removed that barrier, it would cause chaos. Yeah, Absolute chaos. And some people might, might remember in 2009, 2008, 2009, uh, when the Bothell Street off-ramp um, was completely refurbished, they put in an additional line of mm -hmm. temporary barrier that closed and reduced or restricted traffic in lane one. Uh, so traffic coming off the M77, which often sits in that lane until as far as possible, then cuts in yeah. before that lane cuts off to Bothell Street. By forcing that traffic to merge much sooner, they actually improved the traffic flow across the bridge quite considerably yeah. with that one as well, but that, that wasn't kept. Yeah, it's a shame that, that was never kept, but that, that was yeah. it. Yeah. I think that was one of the few examples where uh, the Scottish government received letters from the public asking that the cones be kept on the motorway. <laughs> and there's, I remember there was a, yeah. a quite a, a well-publicised article in the Evening Times and in the Herald mm. at the time about the calls from people to leave the, the, the restrictions on the bridge because of the improvement in flow that it was... That was there. Yeah, that's just you know rounding this up. It's might always be my criticism of Kingston. If I can say anything bad about it, it's a, it's a bridge that is incredibly bad for traffic, incredibly bad for weaving. Yeah, you know, and talk about weaving. Anyone that's not familiar with what that term is, is whenever you have traffic diverging or merging within a very close proximity of junction. So you have people coming out when other people are trying to get in. Rapid changing of lanes is the best way to describe it. It's always been a crossing that has been quite bad for that, mm -hmm. um, and that can lead to congestion and, and accidents. As and well. when you've got so many vehicles coming from so many places, mm. that's right. I mean, know. we spoke about these surface level streets. So you've got this 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 strategic traffic mixed with this short distance kind of. Yeah. Um, you know, local mm -hmm. traffic. That's a very, very busy bridge. But no, I agree with you. It's, it's very impressive in its own right. But back to my very original point, um, it's just maybe not as famous as some of these other crossings because it is that blue line on a map. That's that, and that's a shame. And I hope I hope us discussing this has maybe changed that. Let's hope so. So if you have people in London that have never been to Glasgow, tell them about it. Hopefully, they know about the Kingston Bridge. I think it's is there a Kingston Bridge in London? Because sometimes when you Google Kingston Bridge, something else. I, I'm sure there must be. Give you options in London. Yeah, there might well be. Could be. No, it's just it. But it's not a motorway. Should we also point out that when the Kingston Bridge opened to traffic in 1970, mm -hmm. it massively reduced the amount of traffic using the city centre bridges, Glasgow Bridge, yeah. Jamaica Bridge. Well, of course, of course, it would. You know, yeah. it only became more useful when the rest of the motor was actually connected into it, though. You know, mm -hmm. so. which actually takes us on to our next river crossing. Which, which one's it going to be? We never decided well, on an order here. It has to be Clyde Tunnel. Because yeah, I think we should talk I, about I the tunnel. I think after Kingston, for me, mm -hmm. the Clyde Tunnel is probably the most important after Kingston. Do you reckon? Oh, yes. The Clyde Tunnel, let's get into the history. Yeah. Okay, so this is actually the first of these river crossings that was actually constructed. Yes, approved in 1947. First outlined in the Bruce Report of 1945. Mm -hmm. Prioritised for construction over the inner ring road because it was felt it would bring the most immediate benefits to traffic. Yeah. Now, as it happened, it took them years to get the thing built. 
and it was mm-hmm. 1957 before construction began, and it was 1963 before the first bore opened. That's right. Second Another thing, just just a great bit of pub ammo here. Yeah. The Clyde Tunnel uh, was only one bore, as in only one tunnel. Yeah. Two-way traffic. Yeah. For the first eight months. Yes. That it was open. Until- July third uh, of July 1963, the west bore opened. Uh, mm-hmm. The East Bore opened for uh, the following March. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was because there was a number of delays during construction. You know, it was beset with problems and, and construction issues um, yeah. that really took its toll on the programme. And that's why it took so many years. I mean, 1957 to 1964, yeah. that's a considerable period of time for a, for a fairly short tunnel. Yeah. Uh, okay, there was... It's not just a case of just building a tunnel. It's difficult. There's a, there's a lot of other things. We talk about roads a lot here. So approach roads were the other thing that the northern approach roads didn't properly get connected in uh, the 1969 at the north end. At 67 in the south, 69 in the north. 67 yep. in the south and uh, 69 in the north. Yeah. So that that was you know some things that came. So it did. It came came in stages. You know, mm-hmm. uh, with these things. So what does it do? To me, I mean, it's not part of what is what is kind of the trunk road network no. with the motorways and, and other things like that. However, it has kind of high-capacity, high-quality routes. Mm-hmm. So you've got the South Approach, you've got the Clydeside Expressway and stuff on the other side. To me, the Clyde Tunnel, while not a strategic option, has always been one of these great kind of regional and local yes. options for but- crossing the Clyde. It's also far, it's also in Glasgow, as in nearer the centre, yeah. to be useful, whereas... We'll go to Erskine. Erskine is quite far out. Yeah. You know? The Clyde Tunnel, we should note the Clyde Tunnel was not part of the plans of the Highway Plan for Glasgow. It was really, later when the Highway Plan came along, the Clyde Tunnel was obviously a key part of that. Yeah. But when the Clyde Tunnel was initially designed, it was part of Bruce's proposal for the intermediate ring road of the city centre mm-hmm. that included Crow Road all the way up to. Uh, the big roundabout up at uh, Mogai Bears Den. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That, that Cannesburn. one. Cannesburn Toll. Toll. That's um, it. <laughs> across the river, out to Cardonald. Yeah. Uh, around Moss Park Boulevard, through Dunbreck via you know Tipwood Road, mm-hmm. around the park, uh, around about Hamden, Tory Glen, and then up through the east side of the city, and then back up. That that was the intermediate ring road in Bruce's proposals, yeah. and the Clyde Tunnel was a key part of that. Yeah. Um, and again, one of the reasons for the tunnel, again, the city centre bridges were really struggling. Uh, motor traffic had obviously significantly increased um, since the, even since the end of the war yeah. at that period. And if you wanted to cross the river south, of, uh, sorry, downstream of the city centre, uh, you had to use a ferry. That's right. I mean, there were no other bridges. No, you really, mean, really from that from that point. So this was at that point. Yeah, you know, the furthest out. So we had, crossing. I think we had like Govan Ferry, Renfrew so Ferry, Erskine Ferry. Is it, there's something actually I've never thought about. Why, why a tunnel and not a bridge? I suppose it's for shipping, isn't it? That's right. Exactly. You know, because the same he reason. didn't. You couldn't have had something maybe over that expanse of water that would be a bridge that would be easy to open. No. For shipping. Yeah. You know, so it was it was for that reason. The tunnel was was probably the easy, by far the easiest option there to put that through. Yeah. Now, did you know this? It's actually the only proper road tunnel we have in scotland that's right you know england has loads but we we have the clyde tunnel mm-hmm. and it's great yep so it's the only one in scotland that has proper ventilation and actually yeah. meets the category of being a tunnel there's somebody's gonna find some obscure tunnels there are somewhere. no vehicular <laughs> tunnels in scotland yeah apart from clyde tunnel apart from the clyde, clyde tunnel that's it. so no that's that's about it. right let's talk about function 
Okay, yeah. how does this work from a traffic point of view? Um, I'll, I'll start it off because I, I used to use it back in around about 2012 mm-hmm. uh, is when, when, I, when I used it. Um, it actually, in fairness to it, functions pretty well given the flows of traffic. Now, I don't know if you've got the figures to hand, but I think it's somewhere around about the region of 60,000 vehicles That's right. yep. that use the tunnel. 60,000 vehicles a day. Which is, I would say, on the upper limit of what a dual two-lane road can take. Yes, definitely. Um, something like that, if you're looking at those kind of figures, you probably build it as dual three-lane. A dual three-lane tunnel, very, very difficult to do. You're not going to... Yeah. How many uh, How many more vehicles a day is the Clyde Tunnel using the Nerskin Bridge, John? Well, I think what we'll do is we'll get to that okay. when we look at these. I can see you grinning here. He's trying to wind me up. He's trying to get because everybody knows I'm a big Erskine fan. So, no, that's... Um, but it, it, let's... Okay, we'll address the point now. Yeah, it's busier than yeah. Erskine. But you know what? Because in where it sits and what it does, it's more useful than Erskine. <gasps> that's quite an admission. No, but... But it, it is more you because it's further it's within the city. I would say that more people locally are served by the Clyde Tunnel than say at Erskine, which to me Erskine far more of strategic importance. You know, that's uh, a fair which point. We'll, which we'll, a fair which point. we will which we will get to um, with these ones because it's always Clyde Tunnel versus Erskine Bridge when we have these kind of discussions. Yeah, um, that's because Kingston's just so good that it, it just yeah. it's in a league of its own. Yeah. of course. Um, the junctions and approach roads at either sides. Um, I actually. White Inch Junction, immediately north of the Clyde Tunnel, is probably my second favourite junction. Yeah, Glasgow. yeah, absolutely yeah. love that it. Compact. Uh, yeah. Some people think it's quite scary, to be honest with you, but I really like it. We've spoken about that junction to death on previous podcasts. Yeah, so I'm not going to get into it. No. but I do actually think, especially those northern approach roads, work really, really well. Southern approach roads do suffer quite a bit. We've got the big hospital there and things like that. It's a tremendous busy. kind of traffic yeah, generator. Yeah, very busy. And you know, had the Crow, Crow Road Expressway completed as intended through yeah. Annie's on Cross, I think that the, the flows through there would probably have been far better than far they better are. improved. It suffers because of the problems to the north yeah. really now there's through also jordan hill yeah through jordan hill and uh, that, that's something that crew road expressway no farce that came around that the mm. completion of that is something we will cover mm. in a future podcast as part of our unbuilt series or something because yeah. there were a number of things went on with that mm-hmm. with officials and things that had fingers and pies that, mm-hmm. that sh- ne- shouldn't necessarily have had yeah and that led to the cancellation of that even though the properties were already to be demolished and, and CPO mm-hmm. than everyone else. Something we, we're, we're going to we'll, talk about we'll in future. Talk about, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll maybe have a controversial theme, one <laughs> uh, one podcast, and talk about all the wee schemes around about that had maybe some dubious things. Kind of, yeah. Them. yeah. Okay. Uh, and again, to the south, the traffic flows around about Cardonald. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at Google Maps some some uh, times in the afternoon, and I see this evening peak congestion in the southbound uh, Clyde uh, Clyde Tunnel Expressway, as we know it. Southbound. Yeah, southbound. So heading towards Cardonald, and it's cute be back to the tunnel because yeah. of that bloody roundabout that goes into that industrial <laughs> sorry, park s- sorry for the language everyone yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. but that, there's an easy fix there yeah shut that access and send all the traffic around to 50 pitches road yeah. and send it back to shield hall uh you know mm-hmm. shield hall do you know the roundabout never used to be there? no that's right it wasn't part of the original design it, yeah but that traffic coming out of that industrial park's got far too much priority mm. far too much priority plus all these rat runners Mm-hmm. Coming off the M8, running along that slip and then cutting on again yeah, later yeah. on. You know that that that's 
Uh, yeah, I know you do it. You find themselves, <laughs> you find themselves saying, I do that. I know he does that. That's why I say these things. That's why I bring it up. And I know a few other Look, people that do it as well. A guy's well. got to get home, all right? Yeah. Anyway. You know, and, 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 it's, and, and we should be doing things to prevent that. And, and, and it does have an effect on, on traffic flow. But that roundabout, that, that's something that Glasgow City Council really should look at. Mm. Uh, and the overpass and, and various other bits and bobs in there. While we're at it, by the way, the gantries on the Clyde Tunnel Expressway, what, what condition are they in? Yeah. I mean, they've never lit up Do you for know, years. It's, it's now really jarring since there's been some wonderful gantry refurbishments that have happened along the M8 over yeah. the years. It is very jarring and you look at these things and they do need some... Yeah. Please TLC. take this as a Glasgow Motorway Archive appeal to the officials at Glasgow City Council. <laughs> we are begging you, please do something about the lighting in your gantries in the Clyde Tunnel Expressway. We mm. would be happy to provide any free engineering advice that we can to enable you to get them back into operation as quickly and as effectively as possible. Mm. We'd be more than happy to help you on that. We also given, have a number of given, ideas. Given your experience we will yes. not charge you for our time i <laughs> promise you uh, and, and one thing to note is that glasgow corporation were very proud of the clyde yep. tunnel they were immensely proud of the clyde tunnel the queen opened the clyde tunnel queen and prince philip mm-hmm. we've actually seen her signature and philip's signatures in the visitor's book yeah. when we got our visit to the Clyde Tunnel. We had a wonderful visit yeah. to the Clyde Tunnel. I thought we weren't, we weren't going to mention that there. I was getting worried. No, but no, no, no. no, no, no. We, we actually had it. Stuart and I got a visit to the Clyde Tunnel, which I'm so grateful yeah. to, to yeah. Glasgow City Council yeah. for doing that. So we got to see the control room. Yes, we did. Which is based at the north side of, of the tunnel. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we got to see various other nooks and crannies, yes. didn't we, in yes, the yes, depot and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually... It's actually very nice. They look like they, they with with the resources they're given, they actually run a really good operation. They really there, do. Uh, you know, yeah. we were very impressed. Yeah. With, with what we saw, those guys I, work hard. And oh you yeah. Don't, the thing is, as a motorist, you don't see it. No. And everything, but there is there's a whole system that they've got in place there to ensure that tunnel runs smoothly. The way they manage incidents, keep the ventilation going, and everything, they they do very well yeah, with they, what they've they got. They do very well with what they've got, and and it was very impressive to see. And we were very grateful to be given the opportunity yeah. to get that visit that day. Um, and we, we have a, a few records relating to the Clyde Tunnel mm-hmm. um, and, and it's hopefully something that we can maybe share I, a bit I, more of. I liked that visit from the contemporary point of view of, of there's a piece of infrastructure, how are you guys running it? You know, and it's not trunk road, you know, no. so I mean, I, I deal with trunk road stuff myself, uh, so it's nice to see how a local authority deals with these things. Yeah. Very impressed. Very impressed. So, so thanks for that, yeah. It was great. So, um you're about to make a point. I was going to make the point that we haven't discussed the pedestrian tunnel. No, we haven't. Let's go for... Oh, well, it, it conjures up bad memories for me because of that incredibly hot day that you you, you conducted that forced oh, march. July 2014. Yeah. <laughs> I paraded John through that tunnel. Um, yeah. He was going far, far too slowly for my liking. <laughs> uh, so that, it was like... I think it was like 20... 23, 24 degrees. It was a warm day, day. Yeah. which I think the highest temperature ever recorded in Scotland. Uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, and we walked through it just just to get a feel for it and, and go through and out the other side and tried not to get mowed down by any cyclists. So it's yeah. all right. But it's it's a good wee tunnel that, and it's been uh, improved quite a bit in recent mm. years, and it's now controlled entry. So mm. not just anybody in their granny can wander through. You have to go up and buzz the buzzer to get in, and they'll let you in, and then you then have to buzz your way out. I think at the other end as well, yeah. so they know when you've left. Um, and they've, they've put some artwork and stuff in there, and it's all very nice. It's and the lighting's all right. nice. Yeah. yeah, and it's it is you're you're right to mention about kind of non-motorised <laughs> users being able to use the tunnel. Yeah. Now the pedestrian, uh, they're underneath the road decks. Yes. You know, so uh, if you have a look at some of the material that we've got on the Clyde Tunnel on the website, I'm hoping we might have an image of a cross section of the tunnel. You've got the road deck, and then beneath it, you've got um, the, the kind of where you where they cut. The circle, you've got an actual pedestrian tunnel. Yeah, and a road that, tunnel. that's a good point. Actually. And then there's service ducts <clears throat> that run through there as yeah. well. Our Clyde Tunnel page is a bit light 
at the moment yeah. on the website, and that is something we're conscious of. And we do have plans, and we do actually have a typed article to get mm-hmm. it, you know, to get it uh, to get it finished. There's mm-hmm. a good image on the on the website page mm-hmm. uh, of the Clyde Tunnel when it opened, and it looks like a completely different structure to the one we have now. Looking at it just there, yeah, oh, it's brilliant. It really, really is. Um, I've said all I need to say. Have you got any personal thoughts or anecdotes about the Clyde Tunnel? Is it something you ever used as a commuter, um, Stuart? I only used it by choice. Right. Does that, that 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 sounds like a silly thing to say, but uh, I whenever I use the Clyde Tunnel, it's because I want to see the Clyde Tunnel. Right. You Not, weren't trying to get to the Sky Park no, or something, right? Because living in Lanarkshire, if I'm trying yeah. to go to the north of the city or whatever, I would probably take eighty two or yeah. you know, some other some other route. So it's not it's not one I've used too often. Mm-hmm. And when I do, it's because I've I've decided oh, I think it's time to use the Clyde Tunnel. There was mm-hmm. one story once, something that put me off the tunnel for many years, mm-hmm. coming round. Uh, from the Cardonald side, approaching the tunnel itself, got round the bend, just after the the funny onslaught that comes on from Govan is it Govan Road, you know, just after the hospital, there used to be a McDonald's drive-through and yeah. there's a little supermarket. Yeah, and there's yeah, an onslaught that. there, and I had literally just pa- hit past that and hit the back of a queue, uh, and the lights to the tunnel were red, which means obviously there's an incident. Enter. I sat there for one hour and 15 minutes and couldn't go anywhere. <laughs> Needing the toilet and everything. <laughs> and I was not I'm best not... pleased because I, was, I had been trying to get somewhere in a hurry, which I then mm. didn't. Um, and that actually burned me a bit with yeah. the tunnel for a few years. I was like, I'm not bloody tunnel. Yeah. I'm not the, do you know, I'm, I'm the same. I, uh, I I got caught in the M80 really badly a couple of months ago and I didn't use it in a month for a month because I was in a huff with it. Yeah. You know, it does how I get that thinking. That, no, fantastic bit of infrastructure rounding off what what it does. It just that local, that local kind of service that it does is is what makes it really great. Okay, right. Well, bear all that in mind. What, we've, what you and I have spoken about then, because at the end I'm going to ask you for votes out of ten for each of the crossings on a, a variety of factors. Okay, and then we're going to. I'll, decide, let, I'll let you decide the criteria for I'm that. Going to yeah. decide what one has won. Okay. At that stage. All right. But I suppose we really <laughs> should talk about Erskine Bridge. Yes, we should do. So, Stuart, tell us about Erskine. What is it? Yeah. Okay. So it's a a cable stayed bridge, um, which at the time was quite uh, quite new as a concept. Mm-hmm. There weren't many cable stayed bridges in the world at that point. No. Um, and 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 what was being done is there's key differences between suspension bridge and cable stayed bridge. Which I we... I believe it was the first proper cable stayed bridge of that type in Scotland. Yeah, you're probably right on that. You know. You're probably right. It's basically it's cable stayed. It's hell. We have a trapezoidal box girder, mm-hmm. which is a hollow box girder, supported on reinforced concrete piers. Mm-hmm. Very simple form of construction. Yeah. Very efficient. Very quick to construct. Yes. Um, and it was being used in a few places at the time. And I think mm-hmm. now's probably a good time to mention that the, of the three of them being built in this style at that time, the other two collapsed during yeah, construction. It was really bad. A lot of people died. One in um, Melbourne yeah. and one near Milford Haven mm-hmm. in Wales. And the two of those collapsed during construction. And I believe the Medicine Committee or Medicine Commission that actually uh, was put together after those collapses determined that Erskine probably hadn't been far away from a similar fate at points during the construction as well, but had miraculously survived it. They were lucky. And, and a lot of strengthening work was done in Erskine within the first few years, and that actually led to changes in the way that cable stayed and box girder bridges were constructed and designed going forward. Yeah. The design by Freeman, Fox and Partners, they as a designer had actually been involved in the other two structures as well. 
mm-hmm. our failures. It was a design failing. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, so that was a rather unfortunate start that Erskine had, um, but it moved forward from that, and it's been fine since. And mm-hmm. it's had a number of maintenance works over the years, but on the whole, it works well. Yeah. Uh, so for it a minute, went, it was what 1971. Yeah, July second, 1971, uh, opened by Princess Anne. Another royal. Another royal. So yeah, the, it's all uh, three bridges. All three mm-hmm. bridges had a, had a royal opening. Mm-hmm. Uh, very important to the. Uh, to the authorities who were involved, they had the joint board, I think, for the construction of that. Mm-hmm. Something to consider, though, did you realise that it was actually as early as the 1930s that we were talking about the need for a crossing of the river at this location? I, d- I didn't think it was as early as the 30s, but certainly in my research, it was looked at <laughs> several decades before it opened. You know, they looked at various options, I remember, from a lower level and even the tunnel or something like yeah, that, but th- it was ruled out on kind of cost grounds. All ruled out on cost, but no, mm. they, they knew that... that there was really a need for a crossing here. I mean, in the summer months, people were even, you know, were going to the Highlands and things at that point mm-hmm. then. So the ferry was always very busy. And uh, certainly from our research into the Erskine Bridge, it said that there had been studies as early as the 1930s. Uh, mm-hmm. dissat- dissatisfaction with the existing ferry service between Erskine and Old Kilpatrick had become widespread. Uh, and the generally expressed view was that a higher level bridge uh, should be erected. Because as with Kingston and, and Clyde Tunnel, um, mm-hmm. At this point of the river, because it's an estuary, we're really getting the biggest chips, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going to see in the river going through there. So it yeah. was always going to have to be a high level crossing if if it was to be built as a bridge, which is what they did. Well, it it didn't stop an oil rig hitting it. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry you know, to bring that up. Yeah, and, and that was a disaster, and that was a miscalculation by by an engineer, something to mm. do with tides and tide times, and, and the oil rig hit the bridge, and it was very close to bringing it down, very yeah. close. That would have been a disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it was it, closed for a little bit. It was. It recovered fairly quickly. It was open to uh, to cars and pedestrians, I think, fairly quickly, and then heavy goods vehicles were restricted for a number of months. Uh, I know there was restrictions at the one end of the bridge to, to keep vehicles above a certain height off it because that equated to weight, etc., etc. Yeah for a while and, and that was all done and resolved and there was a lot of work done after that but it was good and it was recovered from that and the traffic flows which we're going to talk about in a minute recovered uh, a wee bit more about the history uh, in 1955 uh, the councils on either side of the river formed a joint an Erskine Bridge joint committee uh, actually held its first meeting on the 25th of March 1963 uh, they set up a technical panel um, which carried out a number of works and things and eventually they appointed Freeman Fox and Partners in mm-hmm. December 1963 to actually advise on the new crossing and, and design it. Now, when the costs uh, became clear um, in 1964, well, this was when they recommended the cable stage steel box guard the bridge uh, with this 1,000-foot main span, huge main span, 300-metre main span, um, the Scottish office decided to, to take over from the Joint Committee from 1965 uh, because they knew that for the delivery of it, it was going to be easier for them to oversee it themselves, and, and that's how it, how it went forward. Um, now the actual cost to, to construct the bridge at this at that time, the total contract cost at the end was five point two two million. Yeah. Now that's uh, that's only about seventy million in today's prices. Yeah, if you were building a like for like yeah. bridge, but nowadays you'd have something far more over engineered. Yeah, than that, you would you, know? you would never get anything, you know, as mm-hmm. as, as cheap as that. You wouldn't build something that, like that now. It would be something similar probably to Queensfree or Keswick. Yeah, you know. yeah. Interestingly, uh, although Freeman Fox and Partners designed the bridge, they actually uh, subconsulted the design of the foundations and piers to Fairhurst. Mm-hmm. And again, that's how you see those piers and, and columns that are very similar to the style at Kingston at Tay Bridge. Yeah, that Fairhurst, you know, signature. Kind of yeah. yeah, you know, and one or two other facts for you, Erskine. 
Well, okay. we're here because you've got me interested in Erskine. It's not something that happens very often. <laughs> He's done his research. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you know mm-hmm. that the designer of Erskine Bridge was a man called William Brown? He was uh, a renowned structural engineer and bridge designer. I did know this because I, I wrote some of the page. Oh, well, he worked as a senior partner at Freeman mm-hmm. Fox uh, from 1956 to 1985. And I believe the same team were involved in those other bridges that we discussed earlier that, that collapsed. You know, during construction, um, yeah. As I said, it was a design issue. Um, did you also know that he's credited with the inventing of the aerofoil-shaped cross section for bridge decks, an I... invention created to combat an array of wind conditions? No, I didn't. I didn't know that, but I, I'd imagine that would be very useful in so Erskine, given its height. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the construction began in April nineteen sixty-seven. So there you go. So it was a four-year construction period. So they built all that quicker than the Clyde Tunnel. Yeah, they did. Indeed, things had moved on a bit. More points for Erskine, then. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Erskine, as we said earlier, is a two-lane dual carriageway. Yeah, it's an all-purpose road. It's not not a motorway. Yeah, and it has footways and cycleways. Did you know that its Mm. cycleways were designed to be uh, transformed into a running lane in future if traffic flows demanded it? Yes, I remember you saying this to me because I look at this often when I go over, which is something you can't do on, say, Forth. No, it was future proofed in a way that Forth Road Bridge wasn't. Wasn't, yeah, yeah because of the way the footways are. Yeah. Kind of like outriggers so, there, yeah. now as we know, the traffic flows at Erskine have never been anywhere near the levels needed to trans, you know, to. to, to requ- the requirement yeah, for that. You know, to change it to a, convert mm-hmm. it to a, to a running lane. Yeah. Uh, so, so now's maybe a good time. Well, let, let, me, let me tug your leg a wee bit about the. Uh, <laughs> okay. About the traffic flows. What are the traffic flows at Erskine then again? Well, we're working around. We we looked at between about thirty and forty thousand vehicles. Thirty a day. to forty thousand a day. So about two thirds of what Clyde Tunnel yeah. is taking, mm-hmm. and one hundred and thirty thousand a day are potentially less than, than Kingston Bridge. So it's mm-hmm. clearly a much quieter, quieter crossing. Bridge, yeah. Now, in fairness to it, had the full highway proposals within the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study came online, it would have been a much busier crossing because mm-hmm. it would have had connections to the Campsie Expressway. Yes. The Lomond Motorway. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't have been too far away on the south side from the Paisley-Hamilton Motorway That's either. That's right. So we'll talk first about this Camps Expressway because this is this is interesting. Yeah. So at the north end of the Erskine Bridge, you have the Dalnotter Interchange. What the original proposals were in the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study was to have this Campsie Expressway continue north. So the A898, which goes over the Erskine Bridge, would go north from that interchange. Yeah. Um, and it, whether it would keep that number or not, but it would form a northern bypass of the city. Mm-hmm. So it would go past kind of Mulgai and all these places and, and eventually go all the way around past the top of Kirk and Tillich and tie in with the, the M80. Yeah. This would have also provided co- connections to the uh, Lomond motorway, mm-hmm. Atrocics motorway. And south of the bridge, as Stuart's saying, between the present-day St. James interchange and uh, Creighton at 30, that's where you would have had your Paisley-Hamilton motorway coming in. So it would have formed part of the orbital corridor. Yeah. So it would have been a far, far, that, far that then, yeah, goodbye footways if that happened. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and it, something special about Erskine that we, we didn't mention already, it was mm. told. Yeah, it was. Well, up until 2006. Yeah. You up know, to, so up yeah, until 2006. I think that's always had an impact on it being quite quiet. Now, I moved down here in 2007 and people still seem to think it was told back then. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, that that's anything because from a perspective, if I was living 
Sarah's and I needed to get through to maybe, I don't know, Drum Chapel or yeah. Annie's Land or something. And I thought either pay a toll or go over Erskine or go through the Clyde Tunnel. I, I'd go through the Clyde Tunnel. Yeah, I, I mean, again, Erskine was one of these bridges like Clyde Tunnel. I only ever went to it because I wanted to see it. Mm. And I used to enjoy actually talking to the toll operators at Erskine oh, Bridge. Yes. It was very nice. And, you know, always, always stick in my memory, the toll operators at Erskine were far friendlier than those at uh, Forth. Forth <laughs> toll operators were always quite grumpy. Very standoffish. Because they had to put up with so much more traffic. Well, there's that, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe it's that East Coast thing as well, you know, they're just not I work with people at the East Coast and they are lovely yeah. people. Also. Whereas in the West, they were always very friendly. And I remember using the bridge one Christmas morning. Uh, I had to go and rescue one of my mates who had crashed a car on mm. Loch Lomond side on the way home for the weekend for, for <laughs> Christmas. And uh, not having breakdown cover or accident recovery or whatever, the police were in the process of recovering the vehicle. Uh, but there was recovery. no one there to recover him. <laughs> so I had to go rushing away up Loch Lomond side. And, and, and when did you say this was? 2000 and 2005, I think it was. This was the last yeah. thing so that Stuart done was cheery kind. toll operators. Oh, excuse me, <laughs> sorry, Mr. Hassel. <clears throat> all those toll operators there with the nice Santa hats on, all very friendly and jovial. <laughs> Poor buggers made redundant only a few months later at a job. Yeah. That's life for you. That's what happens, you know. That's if went off and found yeah. other things. Did you know that the national press really took a dislike to Erskine Bridge at the time when it opened? I did. Was, I, yeah. I went in and um, I, I seen various newspaper articles saying yeah. terrible things about it. Yeah, white elephant. White, white elephant. elephant. Yeah. For the first, easily the first twenty years of its existence, mm. it was referred to as a white elephant. Because it was un- underutilized yeah. and it was incredibly expensive. Yeah. You know? I mean, when you compare it to Clyde Tunnel, we've got figures that say even after two years of operation. Mm-hmm. The Clyde Tunnel was still taking considerably more traffic than the Erskine Bridge, and that included traffic heading for the Highlands and, and beyond. Yeah. You know, people knew what was what was happening, and they were avoiding it. Mm-hmm. I suppose one of the, the reasons, that the, one of the justifications for the bridge at the time, and we've seen it in the video that we have, you know, charting its construction, mm-hmm. that there was there was the decline of some industries in the north side of the river. So there was a skilled workforce that was kind of out of work or was going to be out of work. And it was felt that the new industries in the south of the river run about Linwood, Paisley, Houston. The car park plants yeah, and everything. You know, yeah. they, they, they needed that skilled workforce. So the theory was, let's get this labour across the river mm-hmm. nice and easily. Keep people in work. You know, so that Connecting was one of the, Renfrewshire yeah. and, and Debartonshire. So yeah. in a local context, that was one of the main justifications for the bridge as well. Mm-hmm. So in fairness to them, it, it, it served a purpose. Yeah. And I also think, you know, you know, again, you've got me talking about it. I think it does have a bit of an elegance about it. It does. I, you know, I think it's rather nice. It's very slender, isn't yeah. it? Uh, looking over. I've always looked at it from below and thought, it looks almost quite vulnerable. Yeah, it's very unusual um, yeah. looking, you know, and, and it's big and it's high above the water and it's quite fascinating to look at. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see it from miles around. You know, yeah. you can from any of the high points around Glasgow, you can see its beacons flashing in the in mm-hmm. the distance. You know, see aircraft warning lights. You see them flickering away. You know, you can see the two, the two towers there. So it's here. It's yes. very much worth us. We should embrace that. We should. And I know, yeah. I know it's going to get some maintenance works and things done in the next few years, and that'll, mm-hmm. that'll keep it fully operational. We'll take of it. Plus, and it'll probably get busier as well. I mean, as, as the commuter belt gets bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger, as, as tends to happen, and I know they're building a lot of houses in Dumbarton, mm-hmm. you know, and out towards Greenock and Port Glasgow, you know, anybody who wants to go north of the river, whatever, it probably it is probably going will. to get busier. It's one of these things, I mean, I mentioned this when we, we had a television appearance about this, didn't we? Yes, we did. We did, and I came up with this wonderful phrase. Oh, um, just oh, no. to say myself. <laughs> I always called it the expressway to the holiday. Oh. Because if you think about it, you're at Glasgow Airport, yeah. and then you're only just skipping across the bridge, and yeah. you're straight out to, uh, you know, Dumbarton yeah. and Loch Lomond yeah. and all these kind of places. So 
it takes you nice places. I mean, we've certainly used it a lot when we're going up the A82. You're right. Without yeah. it, what would we be doing? Would we be crawling along Great Western Road or going through the tunnel and up Dumbarton exactly. Road? Exactly. You know? You're so, right. You're, com- you're completely right. In you're a strategic point of view, it's great because it allows you to bypass Glasgow. Yes, you have to still use the M8, but you're not crossing the Clyde further down and fighting through the city. Yeah. Each of, each of these crossings, I think that's clear, each of these crossings have their own importance. Yes, some they of all, them local, yeah. some of them more strategic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. right, so on that note then, oh, and before oh, before we finish in Erskine, I should say we do have some connection to Erskine Bridge through Barry Old, who's one of the retired oh, yes. engineers that we know and, yeah. and speaks to us regularly. He worked uh, for Peter Linden Company on North Approaches to the bridge at Dunnotter Interchange. Mm-hmm. As John mentioned earlier, that's the one on the E82 with all the high-mast lights and all the weavy slip roads. Yeah. Uh, so Barry sent us some personal photos uh, from the construction of the bridge, which were really good to see. Yeah. Um, they were our only images we have of Dal Notter came from. Yeah. That. Yeah, really and good. they are really, uh, really good images. So yeah, it was it was good to to hear about Barry's personal experiences of working on that as well. So yeah, mm-hmm. so we thank him for for those those Absolutely. photos. Okay. So how are we going to do this? It's so quiz we- time. As we said, it's a it's a face off. <laughs> it's a face off. So why, as which, I say earlier, which crossing is I'm going to have you score. Each of the crossings right. against a series of categories. Okay. And then we're going to have an overall score and we'll see at the end which is one. Now, I want you to answer these subjectively. I don't want any <laughs> emotional input or any love or anything, any hate or any well. any getting one over Stuart or any of this. <laughs> I Honest can't. answers are quick fire. Okay. I'll... Response. And then we're going to total up the, the answers and we're going to see who wins. Okay. And whoever wins is deemed Glasgow Motorway Archive, Clyde River Crossing of the Year, 2019. <laughs> That's now a thing. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so, so right, how are we going to my, my question sheet here. Okay. All ready and prepared and ready to go. So how, how, right. How are we scoring this, then? Out of what? 10, please. Yeah, so sorry, 10, being 10. 10 being best or most one, useful yeah. and one being least, least. useful, least okay. Okay. good or whatever. All right. I think I get it. Good. Right, okay, so, Mm -hmm. first one then, first category, Mm -hmm. purpose and importance. So how well does it do what it's supposed to do, you know, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of how important is it to the national economy, um, to people Mm -hmm. moving, getting to where they want to be, all that sort of thing. So, Kingston. Kingston's a nine, I'd say. Okay. So you think it's quite an important one for yeah, moving yeah, people? Yeah, I do. Cetera, I, I just kind of straight in my head there with that one because it's the mo- it's the M8 over the yeah, right. and it serves okay. local right. strategic. I'll take that. Nine. Okay. Nine. Clyde right. Tunnel. Clyde Tunnel's a five, I'd say. A five. Okay. Local. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I'm not being hard on it, but I'm just no. saying it's local. Okay. You know? Erskine. Mm, Erskine's a six. I'd say okay. it's a six. Okay. Strategic. Yeah. yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> this is fun. Next one, then. Next category: yep. aesthetics. In other words, how it looks, how nice it is to look at. See, this this is personal opinion, though. But well, I'll, I'll do it based on some of the, some of the things that you've said about kind of the landscaping and the the architectural uh, key points yeah. of each structure. Okay. So, go so for Kingston it. first. Then Kingston is a seven. 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 All right, okay. It's not the most beautiful thing in the world, but it's more beautiful than it needs to be. Oh. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you built it now, it'll be an ugly box. Oh, it'll something. just be yeah. an ugly box. Yeah, ah, okay. Box, yeah. Uh, quite tunnel. Three. I'm yeah. being really harsh. It, I it's, know. A, it's a tunnel. Quite. I, I think quite tunnel at the time probably would have got a better vote than it does now because it was all very nice and the yeah, nice cladding and stuff. Whereas now it's all very just bare concrete. It's yeah. quite bare. So yeah, three, a three, three for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, Erskine. 
Mm, elegant, as you said earlier. Yeah, I'd probably yeah. say it's an eight. So Edges Kingston, I'd say it's an eight. eight? All yeah. right, okay, eight okay. Right, okay. Next one then. Traffic design. How well you think it's been designed, and how all the alignment and all the slip roads and all the rest of it all come together. <laughs> right. <clears throat> while the Kingston first, again, Kingston right? First, yeah. While very impressive, and it's trying to do a lot of things because of the traffic jams. I can't give it too high. So I'm going to say six. <gasps> six, six. God. Yeah. All right, okay. <laughs> He's not agreeing. I'll ask you the questions next time. Six. Okay. <laughs> Clay Tunnel. Clyde Tunnel will be a seven. Seven. Right, seven. Yeah, yeah, it does it pretty well. And Erskine. Eight. Okay then, fine. Because it doesn't get traffic jams? Yeah, I suppose that's one uh, benefit to it, not having a lot of, a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, okay then. Right, so finally then, overall, just everything about it that you think. Starting right. with Kingston. Nine. Oh, okay. I, I'm, I'm kind of reflecting the purpose one yeah. there a yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. But Fair enough. Okay. Um, thinking now. Think, think, think. Clyde Tunnel. <laughs> Purpose because because the local side. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a slightly higher score than originally. There, I'll go seven. Seven. Mm-hmm. And what about Erskine? Same seven. Although seven. it's not as useful locally, strategically, it is very important. Okay, I well, I total up the scores. Tell me your favourite feature about each of the three crossings, starting with Kingston. No, <laughs> favourite feature. The. The amount, the crazy amount of lanes that I have on that bridge, the sheer thing that that bridge is trying to achieve, it, it, it's um, kind of the the audacity of it. Okay, that's what I like about Fine. it. It's Cl- quite intangible, but I like it. All right, Clyde Tunnel. Um, the uh, oh, is it the right way to say the geometry? The way it dips down and out, you know, it's very steep clearly gradient. steep yeah. gradient mm-hmm. in there is is very defined, you know. Um, and you some, like that, do you? <laughs> yes. Okay. I think it's awesome. Fair enough. Some people in slow moving cars and. Less no, powerful just, vehicles can be in the right gear, but I love that about it, how you're down and out, and the radio goes, and the smell mm-hmm. is over there. Oh, it's just it's all part of the Clyde Tunnel experience. Well, each to their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Erskine Bridge, the view. All uh, right, it's beautiful. Okay. I know I should be looking at the road, but I can't. I can't help to take a quick glance around and get the scale of where I am. I think it's an absolutely beautiful bridge to look at and to look at. Right. From. Okay. Well, the results are in. That and was quick. Obviously, scored out of a maximum of forty in each case what do you mm. think one just from your own knowledge what do you think one there i was really favorable towards erskine but i think i think it could be kingston and i kind of hoping it is kingston because oh. it would be i don't know it would do a disservice for it not to win right well i am happy to announce that the glasgow motorway archive river crossing of the clyde right 2019 is kingston bridge yay with a score of 31 <laughs> out of 40 all right, what All right. was second? Second was Erskine with 29 out of 40. Oh. And lagging way behind with 22 <laughs> out of 40 was Clyde, Clyde Tunnel. Tunnel. Clyde Tunnel is still awesome, but it is uh, hard to compare it to something that like That is Kingston. a real shame. That is a real shame. On, but keep... I think people will understand some of the scores that you hopefully that you, at you least at least there. even though even if you disagree you can probably find out why we re- or why i reached those conclusions based on yeah. the discussions yeah well that's it but listen i think we better very quickly move on to the from the archive feature which ties in with this subject it's the close tunnel for yeah. clit, isn't there's, it there's yeah. blue listen to that there that nice <laughs> slapping of that leather cover and there you go um, you can hear how we treat our historical yeah. records uh, that no, beautiful it is a very robust booklet 
um, which was the souvenir of the opening of the Clyde Tunnel by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth on the 3rd of July 1963, published as always by the Corporation of the City of Glasgow, mm-hmm. printed at the St Andrews Print Works. So I just want to mention about this book. Where did we get this particular one I from? found this online and mm-hmm. purchased it from a bookseller in York. Right, and this was quite recently. Yeah, this was in the last few months. we only had this in PDF. Yeah, yeah. It was a bad photocopy PDF. It was a really bad black and white photocopy, so yeah. it was awesome to actually get one of these. And it's in mint condition. Mint condition. Um, it was bloody expensive. It cost the archive a, a small fortune to, to acquire, but it was worth it, Yeah. given how uh, special it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did pick I one think up. Anyone who makes donations, don't yeah. worry. I think it was um, Stuart's birthday money that paid for that. <laughs> I don't I think the donations go a long way to actually paying for all the the licensing, yeah. and the hosting, and well, right. things like that. You know, and and and, any the, and that's why you know when we see things like this, they have to be snapped up quickly because yeah. they we want to secure them. We don't want them being purchased by some random person somewhere. And <laughs> How dare anyone else have an interest in Getting lost in some box for another fifty years. Okay. You know, so it has it has glossy, colour photographs. Right. right now, I'm looking at one page six. Beautiful view of the inside. Of the tunnel, Is that over yeah. the flat roof? Yes, yeah, nice flat suspended roof. ceiling, green mm. clad walls, cornice lighting. <laughs> it's almost palace-like in there. Wood railings, wooden railings, mm-hmm. you know, as well for the walkway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I'll do is, as I've done in previous occasions with some of these these books, I'll, I'll take some photographs and I'll add it to our blogs and podcast page on the yep. website so that you can have a look for yourself because there are some interesting things here. Uh, I'm not going to focus a lot of time on this because most of what's in the book we have actually told you earlier. Yeah. Because it's more about the you know about the tunnel rather than any any special things. Um, something here it's estimated that initially the number of vehicles passing through the tunnel would be in the region of 14,000 a day. Actually, I think from my memory. I think the first year pushed 20,000. I think yeah. it was well busier than they, than they expected it would be. Do you know that figure in there? I've always wondered if they were only referring to one of the bores, one of the tunnels, and not the the other one, because let's say that book. Well, book. here you go. It's anticipated that when the first of the twin tunnels, the West Tunnel, is open to traffic, some 9,000 vehicles a day will be immediately withdrawn from George V Bridge. It then mm. says it's estimated that initially the number of vehicles passing through the tunnel would be in the region of 13,000, 14,000 a day, including those which at present make use of the existing ferries and the traffic generated by this project. The opening of the West Tunnel will accommodate two-way traffic until the East Tunnel is opened, when one-way directional traffic will be operated, westbound, uh, West Tunnel taking northbound traffic and the East Tunnel taking southbound traffic. The curved approaches to the Clyde Tunnel are constructed to get direct access between the two main arteries, Dumbarton mm-hmm. Road and Govan Road. Eventually, straight approaches will be constructed to connect to Bushagri Avenue in the north and Shield, Road, Shield Hall Road in the south. Yeah. These straight approaches in the twin tunnels will form a new north-south route in the western half of Glasgow from Annisland Cross to Paisley Road and will become one of the most important in Scotland. Do you notice they don't mention any uh, motorways as no. part of that? No, exactly. We'll give immediate relief to the movement of vehicles which at present pass through the city centre and will form a major bypass for all forms of traffic between the northwest and southwest of Glasgow and its adjoining areas. So there you go. Um... Uh, it was designed, the tunnel, I don't think we mentioned it, actually, the tunnel was designed by Sir William Halcrow and Partners, mm-hmm. and I believe was constructed by Charles Brand. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think, let me just check my yeah. book here. It's a, 
it's a fantastic booklet. But the one that we seen at the actual Clyde Tunnel building in their offices yeah. was a different. They had they had one of these, but they also had an actual signed guest book that only very important dignitaries got to sign. Yeah, which we, did yeah. not include Stuart and I. No, um, I think you know other people have over the years have come had a look at it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So the main contractor was Charles Brandon's son, um, mm. and there was a number of very important. Uh, Sub uh, subcontractors and suppliers as well. Yeah. See if any of them stand out to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, not fairly. Not fairly. Some of these early era co- uh, projects, though, you know, contractors come and go. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Indeed, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So it's an interesting book. We'll put up some. Uh, we'll definitely put up some photos. I'm looking mm-hmm. at this wonderful photo here. If you've got the... pictures of the control room in there as well. Yeah, and we have, and, and people <laughs> will know we've shared some of them before. But I'm looking at this image here, and I'm showing it to John of the ventilation room in the north side, and it's we identical have, to what it was like. We have stood now. in there. We yeah. actually have stood in there, and they, they keep it immaculate. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's very very good. Yeah. Oh, we, should, we we took um, a photo from that angle. I know. I know. We should. We, we, we should have done. Mm. Yeah. Did you know, this is some random, I love throwing in some of these random facts from some of these books. Go for it. Both tunnels were driven in shield, with the exception of about 400 feet of the East Tunnel, which was situated in rock under the River Clyde, which was hand-mined. Well, pickaxe, basically. Yeah, my God. The driving of the main shield in both tunnels was preceded by a 12-feet diameter pilot tunnel, from which a certain amount of ground treatment was carried out. Mm -hmm. My goodness. Uh, Yeah. In, in it's incredibly hard things to construct. I mean, they didn't. They weren't using a tunnel boring <clears throat> machine. I mean, no. now, I mean, with the construction of like cross, um, so what it is a uh, crossrail. Yeah, I mean, in London they have these huge tunnel boring machines that just get left in the ground when they're done. You know, there is a gonna, photo of, of of guys working in the, the yeah, pilot tunnel, a shield, and they just kind of chip away at it. Yeah, both it. tunnels were driven in compressed air. This necessitated mm-hmm. the, the provision of a compressor house. Mm-hmm. Built at surface level to meet a maximum demand of twenty-eight and a half thousand cubic feet of air per minute, mm-hmm. at maximum pressure of forty pounds per square inch. <laughs> so all these imperial measurements coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> old money. So yeah, it's a, it's a good uh, mm-hmm. a good part of the archive. We are quite chuffed to have this. Yeah. Uh, especially given that it's a special version of it produced on the day. Okay, so you visitors. look like you're getting quite into that booklet there. You're, yeah. you're very engrossed oh, by. Oh, here we go. In order to avoid advar. Uh, Hang on, let's start that again. In order to avoid adverse road conditions for the traffic entering and leaving the tunnel during the winter months, provision has been made for low-voltage road heating on the curved approaches. Love this. Love this. Anyone who's into that winter maintenance thing always finds this funny as well, is that, you know, back then, very much of the times, they did think about road heating. So this is where you put a, a kind of a mesh through mm-hmm. and you can heat it like mm-hmm. an electric element. Uh, no need for... Just like your windscreen in the car or your rear windscreen. You wrote just like your rear ones. Only say that yeah. only Fords, I think, have it in the front. Uh-huh. But um, no, um, it, it means you don't have to treat it with grit, salt, brine, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever you like. So great yes. thing. But but problem with under road heating systems. We always get asked these questions as they they have a quite a maintenance issue with them, so they don't tend to get used now. Yeah, right. I think we'll close the book because <laughs> we it's time for questions at the question stage and this is almost an hour we've been talking already it was going to be a longer yeah. one so we'll, we'll we'll spend maybe kind of 15-20 minutes here with the questions yeah. and we'll we'll close off yeah. that one indeed so. so I am going to ask you some questions we're going to do them we're going to do them person about this month what? I'm going to ask you some of the questions I, I, oh, that's like my job I've had it well, taken away from me well, goodness no I'm only joking Stuart it's fine it gives I, me a break yeah I'm going to ask you the first one because I think it's right up your street <laughs> And okay. it comes from our, one of our regular contributors, Robert okay. Jennings. Right. And Robert asked us via Twitter, 
Okay. Hi, Robert. If all maintenance suddenly stopped, how long would it be until drivers would notice? And what would be the sequence of events? In other words, what would fail first? And would it progress to being completely impassable eventually? What... I, th- I actually think Robert's uh, bugged my works vehicle because a colleague and I had this exact discussion on Monday talking about if we never done anything on right. the roads. Well, that's timely. Uh, and it is very timely. It's funny. This is spooky. This has been asked. Um, okay, so can I, with trunk roads, are inspected twice a week uh, for safety-critical defects and throughout the year for any other things. Now, if nobody was out looking at that, and there was no incident response or anything like that. Actually, as soon as anything went wrong on the network, such as an accident or a breakdown or a dangerous pothole, which can appear very, very quickly, you'd have a situation where the road could become impassable very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay. So say you didn't have any accident, ruling out kind of things that, that cars would cause, things like potholes. What you would probably find is after a week or so, what would be generally typical potholes could get really quite bad we're assuming just an averagely maintained network here yeah you know with typically age surfacing with nobody going carrying out temporary repairs on that what you could eventually find is on a high-speed road after two weeks of that pothole being hit lanes could be taken out of commission where you if you drive over that it will probably break your axle Mm -hmm. other activities undertaken things throughout the year such as cleaning out of road drains and gullies uh, vegetation clearance uh, and stuff like that as well Sorry, I thought those were mythical uh, No, no, they, they do happen, but they happen when you're asleep. Ah, they that's do. what it is. I must so, just be missing them all. So moving away from the kind of surfacing and stuff like that, any drainage issues that arise and stuff like that, within maybe several months, mm-hmm. these things not being looked at whatsoever, any significant rainfall return events, oh. otherwise rain, would result in flooding of the carriageway. Flooding so bad that the road will become impassable. Sounds like Charing Cross after thunderstorm. <laughs> but imagine, imagine this happening, but no incident response. Yeah, indeed. nobody coming out to to take it away or, or you know clean any of the drains afterwards. So to go back to Robert asked about timing a sequence of events, it would start to be noticed after a week or two. Instantly, certainly with stuff on the surface, drainage issues after a month or so. Structures, you'd probably find a lot of structures might be okay. For, for years to come. Yeah, it could be pr- progressive deterioration. Progressive deterioration. Yeah. You're not going to have things suddenly collapsing. No, yeah. that's very rare, but The other thing you'd also find is over overgrowing of vegetation. So suddenly you wouldn't be able to see signs and other things like that as well. Grass gets cut, particularly in the summer, a lot once a month in verges and other areas. <laughs> other areas once every three months, depending yeah, on where Once every never, in some cases, so but that's fine. Overgrown. Yeah. There's probably maybe some good examples of roads uh, you might find throughout the country that are maintained less than others, so depending on their national importance. <laughs> Oh, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that, that matters to people. Yeah, no, it's not a subject. The other I, thing's uh, winter service. Mm. You could imagine in a situation where this happened during now, if nobody maintained the roads, you would have serious incidents, you know, um, it, when, when it's cold. Sounds like a Glasgow City Council residential so, street. <laughs> I, I would never say such things. Robert, you'd probably notice it within a week when you get potholes that have just been left, because potholes generally get picked up very quickly. The roads are looked at all the time throughout the day. Yeah. Something would get done about them now, but these things would get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Probably find that lanes would be impassable after a week. 
Indeed. Uh, that, that, is, that is a quite a big subject. It's a great yeah. question. Um, you Robert know, always has good questions. He does. Uh, I like the hypothetical ones. But again, mm-hmm. it highlights this army of people that come out at night and do all these things so you don't have to worry about them. You know? So the roads are maintained more than you know. To That's keep true. them and looked at and inspected and analysed. You mm-hmm. don't. You, but as a road user, you don't have to worry about that. Just no. drive on them. Okay. Right. right Next question d- one. Right, can I... You return to your traditional yeah, I'll t- role. I'll go to my traditional role. So this is from Tony McCall on Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Tony asks, was there ever a comprehensive public transport plan to complement the roads plan? I don't think Tony's been listening to our podcasts. <laughs> That's not fair. He might have been listening to them, but he might have missed the one when we spoke about the Greater Glasgow Transportation yeah. Study. The Greater Glasgow Transportation Study, which was the one that had the vast array of highway pro- projects and proposals for the, the region, also looked at public transportation. A mm-hmm. uh, number of proposals to come out of that included uh, like the Buchanan Street bus station, the reopening of the Argyle Line, and the modernisation of the underground in the late 1970s. Um, that and a number of other things like the reopening of train stations that was all looked at as part of the GGTS all projects were weighted equally against one another whether they were road, rail, bus Mm -hmm. or whatever Uh, so yeah, the GGTS that was public transport plan as well Mm -hmm. nice and easy that one yeah, pretty easy moves us nicely on to the next one yes right can I ask you this one? yeah, all right, right, you go ahead then so this one comes from René on Twitter, Rene, Rene, Rene has asked us. Uh, we've had a question from him from, before. From oh, sorry, we've had a question from them. That before. person yeah. before, yeah, absolutely. Uh, asks um, the RAC claimed that the M8 was the least efficient motorway <gasps> <laughs> with an average speed of fifty-three miles an hour. Is this fact or fiction? Did we look into this? Yes, we did. <laughs> and I have the benefit of having John Cullen's calculations. Now, unfortunately, my answer is going to be based on how the ME operates from Newhouse to mm-hmm. Bishopton. It doesn't yeah. have the two-lane section from Newhouse to Edinburgh, yeah. which could pull it down. Because yeah. as you and I have both said on many occasions, the ME between Newhouse and Newbridge mm-hmm. is dire. Yeah, It doesn't operate very well, particularly at peak times and during the day. Yeah, So... I'd imagine that 53 miles an hour is probably uh, an average speed mm-hmm. on that section. And rural. maybe, and it's rural, and, and, and that is unusual for a rural motorway to have slow speeds. Because mm-hmm. if you go into a section of the rural M1... Mm-hmm. You're and, probably going to find it, it's higher than that, 60 quite, or 70 miles yeah, an hour. it yeah. probably is. So it could be in a national context. That is, but you have to be in mind mm-hmm. that it only has two lanes. Yes. Whereas all English motorways... Well, not all, but a lot of them are. The vast majority lanes. of them are three lanes. So the, M8, have an effect. the problem is with the M8, there is the rural parts, and then there's the urban parts. Yeah. Now, if you take a figure of 53 miles an hour and apply that to the urban parts, well, yeah. the speed limit for most of it it's is 50. 50 miles an hour so anyway. So that actually makes it more efficient Yeah, in, in that sense, because it's only a 50 mile an hour limit. Yeah. So, so actually... you can't classify an urban motorway the same that you go against other ones because the speed limit is lower, you have yeah. different kind of congestion patterns and stuff like that. John Cullen and I did a timed survey of the M8 in 2017. Mm-hmm. And we drove the M8 from Bailston to Bishopton four times uh, in the one day, at different mm-hmm. times of the day. And we did timings, and we did fuel consumption and traffic, and blah, 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 blah. And he found that the average speed on the M8 along that section was 65 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. Now, that's considerably higher than, than the 53 that they're saying. So I suspect that that figure has been dragged down by the new bridge to new mm-hmm. house section. 
I'd imagine it probably is. So it could well be fact, it could well be fiction, but there are factors that you need to think about that yeah. could affect that. You know, it's not really given a true reflection of the, of the operation of the road because 53 miles an hour it's in a 50 zone is good, mm-hmm. you know. don't like the, the, the kind of the, the least efficient part of it. Yeah, no, because I would say that the M6 through Staffordshire is by far the least efficient motorway in this country. Well, that's now being made smart. Smart yeah. motorways have come to solve all the problems yeah. of that English congestion. a total yeah. nightmare of a road. And the M25, <laughs> I've avoided it yeah. for years. The M25 ran about Chopsey. Yeah. Heathrow, my goodness. I, I remember that. Oh, that was a whole other subject. Yeah. I remember that when it was at its worst as well, you know. Yeah, so, so no, I, I would dispute that. But they could well they could well be right based on raw figures. Mm-hmm. All right, do you want to ask the next one or why? Um, I'll, I'll ask you, Stuart, okay. this one here. So this one comes from uh, Zeno Watson. Oh, yeah, on Twitter. Yeah, he's he's recently been listening to the podcast. He's Fantastic. been catching up with him. I think he's enjoying thanks him. So welcome. Listening. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, welcome. And thanks it. for asking yep. that question. Mm-hmm. So let's see what, what uh, Zina's got to say. Is there any new future motorway developments or expansions in the pipeline for Glasgow or the surrounding areas? Notice that Zina says motorway. Yeah, I'm sad to say no. There are none. No motorway stuff. But other road stuff? Yeah, well, there kind of is. Um... Well, motorway stuff, we could, we could maybe look at Junction 29A, but that is under construction. That's going to be opening soon. Other roads, but it's more kind of local, kind of smaller things that we have. You've got some things in Lanarkshire. We've got this new river crossing going between Yoker mm. and uh, Renfrew yeah. uh, with the kind of Renfrew Northern Relief Road that mm-hmm. comes in with that as well. Uh, Bishop Briggs, they're actually doing a big job up there at the moment on the, the junction on the M80. Yeah. Yep. You know, connecting the roads in there. So it's more kind of smaller, local yeah. kind of things. Yeah, no Mot- national, no Motorway-wise, no, we're not going <clears> to <throat> suddenly see a northern or a southern bypass for the city anytime soon. No, no, sadly not. Sorry about that. Good question, though. And uh, if they do, you'll hear from us. That's right. Okay. <laughs> uh, right, you ask me one more, then I'm going to ask you one. Right, okay, that's fine. So John Tao on Facebook yep. uh, asks us enough for the uh, two questions in one. Okay. Okay. So the first part of John Tao's question is, can you explain more about the Edinburgh Western Relief Road? Why it was shelved? Did it follow the same route as the Western Approach Road? Okay, I can tackle this one quickly because I found a lot of information on it last year. So the Western, the Edinburgh Western Relief Road was designed to provide a fast route from the city centre at Lothian Road mm-hmm. out to Hermiston Gate. And it was being promoted by Lothian, Lothian Regional Council in the early to mid-1980s. It was going to be an all-purpose dual carriageway with limited access with a 50 mile an hour speed limit. Mm-hmm. And it would have continued the M8. Now, at this time, the M8 didn't go to Emerson Gate. That followed mm-hmm. in 1995. Yeah. Um, the proposal was that it would have tied in directly to the M8 from Hermiston all the way to the city centre. Mm-hmm. It was promoted by Lothian Region. They took it through design. They took it through tender. And they awarded it to a contractor. Mm-hmm. Shortly after the award of the contract and just before construction began, there was an election. The regional uh, council and the local council elections were held and there was a change of administration in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And the incoming administration, which I believe was made up of Labour and Liberal Democrats or, or Liberal Party mm-hmm. um, Alliance people at that time, as it would have been, scrapped it yeah. and had to pay a considerable package of compensation to the awarded contractor. Several million was paid to cancel it. Yeah, yeah, pay all that money and you're not even yeah. building anything. Waste of cash. Yeah. I, a typical example of short-term thinking. 
by mm-hmm. a local authority there. Edinburgh is really bad for that. Yeah. Really bad for that, which is why it takes you an eternity to get from one end of it to the other. It actually even if took me an hour to get out the centre back out to the A90 the other day, and that was uh, lunchtime on Friday. Yeah. That was yeah. horrendous. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. A, it's a nightmare of a place, and I make mm. no secret of that. And that road probably would have helped to an extent. Mm-hmm. So that, that's aspect one of it. John then asked, I think, uh, did it follow the same route as the Western Approach Road? Mm-hmm. The answer is, kind of. In sections, it did. But actually, the western section of the tram line mm-hmm. from Murrayfield to Hermiston, that yeah. was the line that, that the road was going to use. So yeah. where they've squeezed the tram through, that's where the road was going to go. Mm-hmm. And then it would have branched off and then it would have used a small section of what we now know as the Western Approach Road. Yeah. So I hope that, uh, hope that, answers, I hope that, that. answers that. Right. Uh, if, you can you can ask me the next part. Yeah, yeah, second question. Is there any plans to use plastic on the Scottish Motorway Network? And I take it by that he means in the road surfacing materials. So what, like recycled plastic yeah. and use like yeah. a... Okay. Um, no. As far as yeah. as far as I know, um, it's certainly in in my work, uh, John, we have a prescribed type of stone mastic asphalt material that we use for resurfacing of roads, and uh, none of that, you know, is is a kind of plastic. There are some kind of uh, polymer mastic type asphalts uh, that you get for bridge decks and things like that, but I don't think that's what this is meaning. This is a kind of a recycled plastic sustainable solution type things. No, sadly, there aren't any plans. That being said. I am going to the Traffics Road Expo next Wednesday. At the SEC, yeah. And they've always got these fancy new things there that they're showing off. So I actually might learn a little bit about that and find out and maybe have a chat about that. We should have a podcast on sustainability and other things like that so to bring bring these things up. Because it is, I'm, I'm quite into materials. I think all that stuff's quite interesting. Okay. Um, recycling and so on. So um, I'll find out some more, John. But at the moment, to answer your question, no, no plans. Right, well, I'm going to jump in with a question that actually I was going to ask later, but ties in kind of with this. And it was um, from Dougie Conway, who sent us a message on Facebook. All right. Um, he was asking about uh, surfacing, again, about surfacing materials. Materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, bear with me because I'm just going to have to read this one here. He um, says, When the Newbury Bypass was eventually built, I had a new surface which let the water through mm-hmm. and there was uh, no spray at all in the rain. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Dougie says he actually lived around there at the time. Uh, what became of this type of surface as it was a lifesaver? Was it too expensive? Uh, and in the wettish climate like Scotland, it would be great. So, so John, you, you know about this subject because I know we've spoken about it before. So, mm-hmm. tell us what happened and why and why is it not being used? And, I believe I've seen this, actually, uh, to be honest with you, um, which uh, which came in. What he's describing there is something that they, they went in for at the time called porous asphalt. Um, so this is a kind of an asphalt that lets the water through it uh, yeah. the other side. Um, that, that was more or less a trial. It wasn't an accepted product. As they were saying, it was fantastic during rain, you know, because you didn't get it all sitting on the garage bay that yeah. you can sometimes get now. Mm-hmm. The only problem that they found with this, and I remember reading up on this, is they had big issues with the maintenance of it. It all started coming apart. Oh. I don't believe it was laid entirely correctly uh, at the time. I, I will have to go back and check. Um, but uh, porous asphalt, it never worked out on that particular occasion, and they had to take it all out and put it in again. It's an expensive and difficult type of product to lay. To be honest with you, okay. I have seen it used not really on major roads, but more on kind of some car park access roads and roads through parks and things like that. Ah. I've seen it used in some uh, not really typical locations. Is it good for all traffic situations? Yes, it is. Right. It doesn't seem to handle 
when it's HGVs and if you're getting something like vehicles. the Newbury Bypass was taking 50,000 vehicles over it, yeah. you know, it, the whole thing wasn't going to hold up. So no, it had to come out. I believe Newbury Bypass opened in what ninety six or ninety seven, and that stuff got taken out. I think it was about ninety ninety nine, but it was quite a big deal at the time. They used this new asphalt. Right. Okay. Um, inter- great and interesting subject again um, about it, but no, sadly we don't we don't use that on yeah. our trunk roads. All right, okay. Um, I think that answers that one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you the next one because it's from Jonathan Towers on Facebook, and Jonathan asks us some questions now and again, and I was delighted to read that Jonathan doesn't <laughs> like the M90, and he described <laughs> himself as a regular M90 basher. <sighs> so that means Jonathan is well up. My good books. Really? He's, he's, he's in there. Well, Jonathan should know the M90 is the other woman in my life, so oh, he has to be careful dear, what he says. Dear, 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 dear. <laughs> and Jonathan asked, mm-hmm. was there ever a highway plan for Scotland? That's his first question. He's, he's asked us a couple. So I, I ask, let me deal with this one first. Mm-hmm. Was there ever a highway plan for Scotland? No, not really. Not to the same extent that we had in Glasgow where you had the specific design and all the traffic engineering and everything combined into one document. We have had a number of reviews over the years. There's actually one going on at the moment, the STPR, Scottish Transport Projects Review, uh, which looks at all forms of transportation and considers roads and things like that. We had a strategic roads review back in 1999 as well Mm -hmm. that outlined some roads, but it didn't contain any detailed design information or anything like that. It was just vague promises to build this or not build that or Mm -hmm. defer this other scheme or whatever that's what that was but no we've never had a, a, a defined detailed highway plan it's for just scotland. these project reviews that, yeah. that transport yeah. scotland yeah. push out every now and, and the detail behind it all comes later on yeah uh two he asks you tell me ask me john ask yeah me. i'll look at this one this is the one about the uh, local authority isn't it so why did the change from the corporation to strathclyde regional council have such a big effect on the implementation of the highway plan a uh, budget and resources yeah, but wasn't there a general change in thinking? To an extent. In extent, yes. with the people in the regional council were actually, I don't like using this word, but maybe a bit more progressive. <laughs> They've gone through the time and they maybe thought, well, maybe there's another way of doing this. They're not quite yeah. as on board with it. Um, you know, kind of y- younger, more liberal kind yeah. of councillors. We've discussed through. this at length over in, yeah. in various other forums and discussions. There's a lot of politics in with it. Politics, resources. Mm-hmm. And general feeling in the social side of things, the, the yeah. environmental effects. This kind was, of, of course, to that. yeah, yeah, post oil crisis, yeah. And, and, yeah. and when they built some of these roads already, they they had the the great thing there of of of, of hindsight where they could look back at the effects on some of the roads that were constructed. Yeah. Yeah, so there was that aspect of it as well, which had a, had a big impact. It is something we're looking to talk about down the line. Yeah, uh, I think we have discussed possibly having a podcast on 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 this kind of subject. You know, as part of our unbuilt series, we might finish the unbuilt off with a, a sort of a an overview of mm-hmm. why all of the schemes that we've discussed didn't go ahead, and that might form a, a big part of that. So stay tuned, mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. There's probably more to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, John, I think we've got another couple of questions, haven't we? Yeah, well, it's um, we've got one, but it's a multi-tiered question. Ah, okay. They seem to be a favourite. Uh, Who asked this? This is from Ryan Corey on Facebook. That's a new name. Uh, hi, Ryan. I'm hi, Ryan. sorry, you might have been listening from day one, but it's the first time I think <laughs> you've asked a question, so welcome. That's fantastic. So, uh, Ryan asked with a good one here. If they were building uh, the motorway now, are there any parts that just wouldn't be done like that anymore? <laughs> hmm. Do you know? Um, do you, can, I, can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, um, let's, let's pick out something like the... Um, the sections of urban motorway around the north flank so that's you know from king's well from st george's cross going through to town head and so on 
Given that you have something now called the Design Manual for Roads and Bridges that specifies exactly how you should build roads, you would require so many departures from standard of something like this. It would be, it, it would be a massive exercise in paperwork and justification to try and build something to that that standard. At the time yeah. when they built these, there weren't these standards, you know, so they could kind of do things how they wanted to. But now, you know, there's a set guideline for doing this. So, you know, yeah. you wouldn't get a junctions very close together. You'd no. be very hard pressed to get um, entries and exits on the right hand side. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, you know, particularly with the, the loops and some of the slip roads, you, you would also have kind of minimum and uh, maximum gradients and things like that. Sorry, you know, that you could have with these things. The genometry on some of these is completely different than what you'd have now, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. So, um, and um, even from the social impact point of view and the environmental point of view, the the Charing Cross section, mm. in the form it's in, never would happen. Even to current stand, even to yeah. even building some to current standards as an open air road going through there is never going to happen. Yeah, you would have you'd have other environmental mitigation things. You can see with the M seventy four when they built these big environmental barriers that yeah. they put alongside yeah. of it. Back then they didn't really do this. No. So no, um, you you have so many features you probably wouldn't have now. Yeah. Um, such as yeah, right hand exits and all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Junctions so close together. Yep. You know? No, you're right. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Next. Right. His uh, second part of his question: He has, why don't they make hard shoulders orange anymore to save money? Do you know what the orange is? It's not the asphalt. It's a screed over a screed. the top. Over the top. Yeah. It's it's an actual dressing that goes over the top. So you could restore it if a certain maintenance contractor felt kind of historically obliged to do so. But I, yeah, but I don't know. If, I, don't I don't think, think it's in the standard anymore. No, it's it? not. No, it's no. not. So it would very much be removed. Just, just uh, yeah. The, removed, the theory yeah. behind it was that it, it delineated the hard, the hard shoulder from the running lanes to to yeah. highlight that it was for emergency use only mm-hmm. by by giving it a colour, you know, to but, make it look different. Um, unfortunately, during roadworks or incidents, and you run traffic yeah. over it, it all gets wrecked anyway. Ah, exactly. All it does now is just generate stones. So that's Indeed. Right, the very last part of his question, and I'm going to read this slowly because I was reading it there, and I'm not sure I follow, but it says. Why is the M73 northbound uh-huh. not free-flowing onto the M80 south? Uh-huh. Oh, I get it now. Like it is on the northbound oh, that's M80. easy. That's easy. easy. No, that's nice. Okay, so you're going up the M73 uh, towards kind of Cumbernor, but you want to go back down the M80s if you're going to Glasgow. Yeah. Well, you, one thing is, you, you, why would you make that movement? I don't know why. Um, very, very few people would be doing it, which is why you'd use the you'd use the M8 instead, wouldn't you? And just a bit of trivia: the original proposal for the connection between the M73 and the M80 at Mullinsburn actually didn't have any connection to the southbound M80 at all. That added that was added later on. So we're actually kind of fortunate that we have mm-hmm. the kind of grade separated connection that we yeah. do. Um, because I, personally speaking, I don't see really anybody come off the M73 then go south on the M80. I think mm. maybe just a few cars every day. something you wouldn't do. Because you use the, M- the M8 for that. You use the M8 if you're going into Glasgow because presuming you're going wanting to go back down that direction is to get to Glasgow. The only yeah. reason I think if somebody wants to get to Rob Royston, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Uh, but, you know, you can accommodate it quite easily. I mean, the junction at the top there uh, is, is relatively quiet. You can get in and around it yeah. that way. But, no, yeah. it's just generally, if you look at a map, it's not, it's not what you would do. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know? So it was never built that way. Indeed. And that ties up all of our questions. Right. Okay. I think. Yeah. Everything off there. So we need to just have a quick talk about some of our upcoming events and features that are coming up on the Glasgow Mobile Archive. Yeah. So we have a calendar coming. We do. We promise. And I think, personally <laughs> speaking, it is the best 
one we have produced to date. Yeah, it's been about a month and a half. We've been really working on yep. this, and we we have actually spent a bit of time and money with some concepts, and they haven't yes. quite worked out. No, but we've found one at last. I think that we're happy with. Right. And I think people will be very pleased. I'm hoping to be revealing it to everyone in the next couple of weeks or so, mm-hmm. and they will be available to purchase. Um. Like we did, not last year, but the year before. They'll be available to purchase. Uh, and, and that'll be well before Christmas. So if somebody's looking mm-hmm. to buy one, they can they can snap it up. Um, prices and details will be revealed nearer the time. Um, the proceeds from the sale of those calendars will go almost entirely towards the digitisation of some of the 6,000 mm-hmm. photographic slides that we now have on our own. Yeah, we can't do that on our no. own. We, we need funding to yeah. do that. It's unbelievable. Each slide takes us about five minutes. And, cleaning uh, and yeah processing. so it needs to be done professionally uh we're using our contacts across the industry and across the archive sector to, to help us find some some way that we can get it done quickly mm-hmm. and professionally um so we need money for that we need we need we need to spend money to get that done mm-hmm. so the proceeds from the sale of the calendar will be used entirely towards that because it will be several hundred pounds mm-hmm. you know it's not a cheap uh, it's not a cheap thing at no, all to do uh, so yeah so please 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 if you do like the look of the calendar please snap one up you will be helping us quite considerably and listen 13 brand new never seen before images in that calendar we yeah. always make the point that when we do a calendar or something that there has to be some reason for people to want to see it yeah. and in this case it's all new images mm-hmm. um, some of them are really good only recently scanned actually that, yeah. that came from some of the Scott Wilson stuff we, we got so some really good ones in there and the one for Kingston Bridge for it's 50th birthday next June mm-hmm. is a stunning image barnstormer of an image it really yeah. really is mm-hmm. and, and i think the calendar itself is worth it just for that mm-hmm. one image if not one of the images in it uh, just uh, we had to put Stuart baird 50 meters into the sky to take the photo <laughs> if that one still made the cut <laughs> so it did. Yeah. 50 meters yeah, yeah totally that's yeah. a good one as well that's actually. a very good one yeah, that's a good nighttime so. photo yeah so there are good images in there um it's all it will be coming we'll, we'll get it revealed shortly as i say it has taken a bit of time those of us who followed us for a while will know that I am very keen on doing some special things around about the Christmas period. Yeah, he goes into a sort um, of festive frenzy, unfortunately. Yeah, because mm-hmm. why not? Why not do some things that just set set December out from all the other months of the year? So we have a number of ideas that mm-hmm. we're going to trial. And our podcast next month will be, shall we say, rather different right. to our normal format. So this is the last of the regular podcasts until January. Yeah, but we return to normal service. We return to normal service in January. Next month, it is our proposal to do our podcast live, Mm -hmm. which means that you will be able to submit your questions to us there and then, Mm -hmm. live on the screen. Now, we will also invite some questions in advance, so watch out for that. Watch out for the broadcast date as well. It's likely to be probably the third or so week of the mm. month. It'll be the week before Christmas. I think that weekend's the 20th. It will probably be in that week, but we'll yeah. firm that up. Also, those who's fought, who have followed us for a while, and remember last year, well, remember that we had the very special release of the Inner Ring Road footage. So we're also trying to come up with some ideas and things, things that Something we can do. Something that we can that all we'll, share with you. We'll, yeah. So yeah. watch out for, for December. There will be a few things in December. And uh, I, I think we'll... We'll have a few surprises for you that you'll all enjoy. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Yeah, and I'm actually intending to run uh, maybe just a wee competition. 
<laughs> like we did I, before. Remember, I have we no a, idea what he's insinuating we, here. We, the first time I'm hearing we, about we this. We gave away a calendar one time, and and I think we've got oh. one or two things that we could maybe give, give away. away. And I've got and I've got some runner-up prizes. But we'd be looking <laughs> for something in return, okay. whether it's shares or likes or or spreading the word or or Absolutely. something. So there'll be yeah. there'll, there'll be something. So keep, so keep an eye open. There Good. are things coming. There are things coming. Okay. Uh, John, as we said at the beginning, you're off to. To Texas. I'm yeah. off to Texas. I'm specifically, I'm going to Houston for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Uh, in a, in a week's time. So I'm really looking forward to that. This has got, as, you know, I've been looking at a lot of cities. I think this is one who has the most comprehensive urban motorway network in the world. Oh yeah. So um, yeah, I'm going to just drive them all and really, really enjoy it. You're quite right. And and next month, and I should say. Next month, even though we'll be live, we'll, we will dedicate a, a section to talking, talking about, about John's that, experiences yeah. in, in, in Houston. To death. We, yeah. we will still, have, you know, even if we're live, we'll still have normal topics that we'll be covering as and well as the questions. Can, uh, hopefully, we'll come up with some mechanism for people to listen back to that. Oh, live it'll, podcast. Still, it'll still be recorded yeah, and released. Because I know there's a lot of people in the car right now probably going, "Oh, what? You know, I can't watch that when I'm driving, but I'd like to." Yeah, still no, no. Listen to it. Yeah, it will still be released as normal. It'll still be released as a cool. normal edition. Uh, just have a slightly different format about it. So yeah, we're really looking forward to hearing from you about your experiences over there certainly I, I'm envious uh, yeah. because I know Texas has some stunning uh, infrastructure it does it's got um, the widest motorway in the world yeah the KT Houston freeway yeah so I'm hoping you'll maybe get some photos and things that we can share yeah, on social media do. when you come back um, and we can talk about them as well and you can give us your insights even from things like a maintenance point of view because there's things I noticed about maintenance when I was in America mm-hmm. uh, that stuck out to me that it was all very tidy very clean very well looked after it'd be good to see if that's your experience in, in another yeah, state as well certainly. I know Texas is quite a well off state as well so I'd yeah. hope that that would be reflected so it'd be interesting I, I look forward to, to discussing it with you next month I should have said as well that uh, for next month I'm hoping to have one or two of our other people involved next month there's other, there are yeah, other members we, we Nick I think needs I think it's time Nick was back uh, to, to have some discussion more, as more well. police discussion yeah so, yeah so we'll try and get him back as well okay um, I think that's more or less us for this month so thanks for joining us this month uh, on the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast you're welcome as always uh, make sure you visit our website uh, glasgows-motorways.org.uk uh, where you can listen to all of our previous episodes and learn all about the Glasgow Motorway system as well. That really is a stunning resource on there. There's a lot of information and photographs on there. Uh, and I will share the images from that Clyde Tunnel book that we, we spoke about in the archive feature earlier. Yeah, you can also subscribe to us at the Apple Podcasts on Spotify or at Podbean to make sure you never miss a show. And while you're at it, please share to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends and colleagues about us. Uh, if you've enjoyed what you've heard here, please sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for the usual daily fix. Yeah, that's right. You will see regular updates on those channels from us. Uh, between myself, John, Wojciech um, and Nick, we, we will post regularly on, on social media. You will see some new images coming through recently as well as we as we open boxes. We try and share some of the better ones that we come across. So that likes to, you know, keeps the interest going. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, uh, that's all for now. But we will be back in December with our 2019 Christmas special, as I said, and, and what exciting plans we have lined up for you. So please stay tuned for those and watch out for them. There will be news coming on them in the coming weeks. So goodbye for now. Yep. Yeah, goodbye. Thank you. Woo! <laughs>